I'm very excited about this podcast. Okay, friends, before we begin, try and guess the location of today's NCEA podcast guest. Here are your hints. This diocese has about 36 elementary schools, six high schools serving over 13,000 students and their families. It is comprised of 20 counties, spans the northern and eastern regions of California, and includes 42,597 square miles. It's one of 12 dioceses in California, and it is in the province of San Francisco. So if you haven't guessed it by now, join me on a virtual tour to Sacramento, California. Welcome to the Diocese of Sacramento. I'm Laura McDonald, and this is NCEA Podcast Teacher Edition. My guest today is Leticia Kawamira, first grade teacher at Our Lady of Grace School in West Sacramento. Welcome, my friends, to Mrs. K's classroom, and thank you, Leticia, for agreeing to join NCEA Podcast today. Well, thank you for the invite. <laughs> so... I've been excited about this all day. Um, tell us, our listeners, a little bit about yourself. Sure. I went to Catholic school, elementary school and high school. And then when I got out with my teaching um, degree, I decided I should go back to Catholic education um, because that's where my love and my passion was uh, is. And so I went back and I've been teaching in the diocese for 24 years mainly in first grade. I've done a little bit in kindergarten, but they're a little different for me. I, I'm not quite the kindergarten person. And um, and first and second combined. But okay. first grade is my passion. And how long have you been at Our Lady of Grace School now? I have been at Our Lady of Grace. I believe this is my 14th year. Wow. Time yeah. flies. Yes. So as... I'll let you guys all in on, a, I guess it's not a secret. I used to be Leticia's colleague. And so I had the privilege and opportunity to walk into her classroom a lot. And um, we no longer work together. And so I really miss the opportunity to chat with her, discuss strategies, talk to her about the teaching practice and her sweet little students. Um, but when I found out we were doing this teacher's edition, I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to about classroom community. Um, my office was not too far from Mrs. K's classroom, and I could hear giggling all day long. I could hear happiness and um, on-task happiness, by the way. And if I wanted to go somewhere and feel safe and welcome and stress-free, I knew I could visit my first graders in Mrs. K's classroom. So um, I just have to give her um, that wonderful shout out because she is an amazing teacher when it comes to classroom community. So if I visited your classroom, which I've done, what would you hope I would see or hear in your classroom? I would hope that, first of all, when you walk in my room, just the appearance of my room, I would first hope that you would feel comfortable in, this, in the place. Um, I think students need to feel comfortable. It, has, it doesn't have to be your Instagram perfect looking classroom, but it should be something that's organized where students know where to find things, 
that they feel comfortable sitting in here. Um, that's the first and foremost, I think, when you first, for a student, um, that's what I think of. I think of going into a house that's cluttered with piles on the couch and piles in another area, how I feel in that space and do I feel welcomed in that space or do I feel like I need to get out of that space because I'm not really, I don't have a spot. So giving my children a spot in the classroom where they feel comfortable is first and foremost. Um, and after creating the space, then of course it's getting to know my students. And that, um, we talked about that a lot, about it happens when they first walk in my door, the first, very first day of school, noticing those things about each student. And of course they're not a parent right away, a parent right away. You have to dig <laughs> a little bit some days or sometimes for some students. Um, but just learning what makes them feel comfortable. Because if they're not comfortable in the space, not welcomed in the space, they're not going to learn. That's they're right. They're going to be so focused on the other things coming into them that they're not going to be excited about being here and wanting to learn. So that, I think, is important to just get to know the person. Looking at a student saying, hey, this student likes to blurt out a lot. You know what, maybe that student needs to be my information person, where every morning they give us a greeting or the daily virtue, what virtue we're working on, what student learning expectation we're learning on, and how, how, how can I get them to speak more in the classroom and where they're comfortable in finding that comfortable spot for each one of them. So I know Today, you know, it's the beginning of the school year now. And so the kids that walk in your classroom, your classroom looks very different from the beginning of this um, school year to now. Um, and I know there are no quick fixes. You know, one of our hopes for this podcast is that everyone listens, they connect, they have a good time. But we also want them to walk away with something to try, something to renew, some, a reminder of something they used to do, some inspiration. We know there are no quick fixes, but how do you get them there? How do you create this community? Um, you're working on it now. What are some things that you could share that you do? Um, some things I do is when there is a situation in my classroom, no matter, uh, for example, someone stopped, someone was getting in line and they pushed somebody. We stop and we talk about that moment, whatever it may be. Um, if there was an issue on the playground and we come into the classroom and they want to tell me, of course, everybody knows you're, you're at the door and they're telling you 15 different things that happened at recess. We're rather, in, rather than push them aside and say, oh, we'll deal with that later or I, we got to get to math. I stop in those moments and we have a group discussion. Tell me what happened at recess today in a group setting so that they feel like they're being heard. Because if they don't feel like they're being heard, they will not reach out to you. They will not connect with you. But once they feel like, hey, this teacher wants to hear what I have to say, then they will be more open. And once you get them to be open, the more you will get, get out of them product, productivity-wise and academically-wise in the classroom. And once they feel that safe space, um, there are many times after recess, I find that I do have to stop and say, okay, this, this, and this happened. 
We need to all sit down and talk about it, share our feelings. How could we have solved this? What can we do? If I take that time now in the beginning of the year, it happens less and less towards the end because we're giving them those skills to deal with it outside and it doesn't always have to come in the classroom. So you use them as teachable moments and it's worth the time and effort now because later on then they learn proper ways to solve issues. Yes. And then to know that they're heard and that, that when they raise their hand because there is a problem, I'm going to listen. I don't, I, I have to listen as much as I want them to listen to me. I need to listen <laughs> to them. Um, because once they get whatever it is out, then we can move on from there. If not, they will be stuck in that moment. And not they, listening to you at all. As we know, they'll be thinking about, and then instead of telling you, they go home and tell their parents, and then their parents have no idea what happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because if if they feel she hears me, she understands me, then she's, they're more likely going to come to me before they go home and say something that's not actually the, the correct situation that happened. So you always make sure that your students feel heard. You also make sure they feel seen. Can you talk a little bit about that, about some of the strategies you use to make sure students know you see them as well? You've asked me that a lot. And um, sometimes I think I don't know what I'm doing. But knowing that it was coming on this podcast, I was really thinking about what I was doing in the classroom. Um, I often have very, very wiggly children, like we all do. Um, but I look at the child and watch why they're doing certain things. Why is it that they are tapping their pencil on the desk? And maybe if I give them a fidget toy instead, I won't hear the banging, but they get to fidget. You know, and letting them understand that it is okay to be who you are. I tell my students that. We are all different. God has created, we talk about God and our, how he created us all individuals, and we are all different. We come to this place in all different spots. But when we come together, we need to understand that what one person needs may not be the same thing I need. And it's okay. If I give a student a wiggly chair because that's what they need, the other students need to accept, okay, Mrs. K is, Mrs. Kelmer is giving them what they need and not worry about, well, I didn't get that chair. Why didn't I get a fidget? Um, and I do that a lot. I talk to them a lot about wanting to get to heaven. And the way I'm going to get to heaven is God wants me to give everybody what they need. And it might not be the same thing. And we have to be okay with that which eliminates a lot of the arguing about why this person gets to do this and why I don't. I very rarely have that issue. And I do think it's a common issue. And I do think it's something that teachers struggle with because they often feel like if I give this student this attention, Mm -hmm. or if I give this student this strategy or work with them, the other students will think it's not fair. And that's something that you really celebrate in your classroom. Um, You celebrate their differences and you really make them cheerleaders for each other. Exactly. 
Um, but being straightforward and, and telling them, look, we're all in here. We're all different. God created us all different. And when I can say that to them and say, but I care about you, but I can't do this for you right now, but this person needs this, and this is what I have to do for them. And they understand that as long as I'm honest with them why I'm doing it. If I'm just secretly handing something or allowing somebody to do something and not discuss that, then I'm going to have issues. But once I'm open and say, this is what I'm doing because I need to do this for this person, you don't need it, and that's great. But I'm going to help you somewhere else if that's what you need. So, yeah, that's definitely. One thing I've found in, in, is I always send an email to parents because once the parent knows or the student knows, if I find the tiniest thing, maybe I've had a child who has struggled sitting on the carpet and there's this one moment in time, a very small moment in time that they <laughs> sat there and they did what I asked and they paid attention for that small moment. I send an email out about that. Oh, Johnny did wonderful today. He sat on the carpet during math time and he was so focused. That communication with that small little thing gets the student saying, hey, she noticed me. She saw when I did that. I don't have to make a big to-do about it in the classroom, which I do when I need to. But it, it doesn't have to be that every moment that you're celebrating. Send those emails out to a parent and, say, and she, the student will say, hey, she noticed me. And makes the mom feel really great that, or parents that we're communicating. Um, and then also lets the student know that I'm very eager to communicate with parents and get that relationship going for the good and for the bad. <laughs> yes. yes. I wonder what else she'll tell my parent that I won't know exactly. about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, and I think that that strategy, we, I think we all as teachers, we're all looking for those moments so we can celebrate a child's success, especially when we see them struggling or we know that maybe we're going to have to send a not so positive comment home to parents. But I, I think sometimes we, we try to look for something too big. And we, and, mm -hmm. and when we realize it's just those little moments in time that matter and that if we celebrate them, they could become bigger moments. But what I like about what you do is you don't always tell, you don't always tell the student that you saw them. No. So I feel like that goes with the teachers have eyes in the back of their head theory yeah. that, you know, maybe she'll see me. Maybe she didn't say she saw me, but she might have saw me and I want to impress my teacher. And I, I think that goes, I think that goes with high school too. I mean, that, yes. that extends to high school. I mean, who wouldn't like to have be noticed? And sometimes without that embarrassment of the teacher celebrating it in front of all of their peers, but just sharing it with a parent, you know? And, you know, and you know, I, I also will find that just one-on-one -on -one with the student, just a quick little thing. I, I had a student who, who was melting because they were struggling or not getting the math right away. Um, all I said to the student was, I'm not going to let you fail. I'm not going to let you struggle. And sometimes just one or two words that you can find to say to that student will change, turn them around. Just for them to know that there is somebody cheerleading on the side for them, regardless if it is 
if it's a long battle to get there or not, I'm going to stay there with you. And I'm not going to let you do it alone. Um, just making those one-on-one -on -one connections and knowing what the student needs. Some students need to hear that. Some students need to see you do that by standing there with them. Some students need you just to give them a high five on the way out the door. You know, just learning your students and what they need. That's a huge task when you have 35 students. <laughs> yes. But you don't do it every day perfectly. Now let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, let's talk about some of these um, activities you may do at the beginning of the year to build this community. Today's episode is brought to you by NCEA Catholic Leadership Summit. Superintendents, new and current, associate superintendents, diocesan order and system leaders are invited to engage with each other and session leaders to learn and share research, best practices, resources, and tools, which will have a positive impact on your school's community and strengthen your shared mission. This year's event takes place October 16th through 19th in Arlington, Virginia. To learn more, please visit nca.org backslash CLS. All right, we're back. I'm here with Mrs. K, and we're going to talk about some of the, um, she does some projects at the beginning of the year. Um, I know literacy is a big part of your classroom. Um, I, I think you use it not only for a story time to celebrate literacy, but I I know that you use it to build community as well. So let's talk about that. There are some really fantastic books out. When I began teaching, there were books out there, but they were hard to find, you know. Um, but now there are some great authors out there that put out great things um, to build community about children who are being, who are being too, are too shy to speak out. So I choose my books intentionally in the beginning of the year. As a matter of fact, I keep them all in a box that says back to school so that I'm not searching for them. Um, so they're easily, if there's something that comes up in my classroom at the beginning of the year, oh, I need to work on recess behavior. I have a book that works on recess behavior. Um, I use those books to intentionally teach how we behave in our classroom, how we treat each other, how we are building each other up and not tearing each other down. I choose books that I know first graders struggle with and that they need to hear, not only me preaching it, but through literature. Um, and then we create little crafts and things with those um, books. Um, one great book that I really enjoyed reading is The Invisible Boy. I think that's, yeah, The Invisible Boy. Um, and it's about a student who's not be feeling like he's being seen. And so I use that to tell my students, look at your friends. If you feel them see, if you see them sitting off to the side, invite them in, you know. Um, so story time becomes not only just a story, but it becomes a lesson in our faith a lesson in um, our behavior, and maybe a lesson that they can take from now, hopefully, all the way through their education, something that they can hold on and to remember. 
And I think this is an important strategy that all teachers can use. You know, there's commonalities amongst our middle school students and the things they struggle with as well. And introducing books and sharing them with your class, I, I find is just as appreciated and, and as accepted, accepted by our students as it is in first grade. So I, 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 I encourage that's, all. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a very good point that I think as we get older, we forget, why not pull out a picture book? Why not for those seventh and eighth graders? Let them dive into it a little deeper. Figure out, you know, what, what maybe they had missed when they were in first grade reading that same story. Right. You know, what is different? Well, how do they see that same text as a seventh grader versus when they were in first grade? You know, and making those connections through the literature is, is a great way to instill our virtues and create a, cli a climate in the classroom that is welcoming. So at the beginning of the year, you're doing a lot of assessment. And, and yes, you do your standardized testing and, and what is required of you in the first grade at OLG. But you're doing a different kind of assessment. Um, what are some of the things you were looking for at the beginning of the year? I know you talked about who, need, who, who needs some wiggle room and who needs to, you know, um, yell out. Yeah, and I'm also looking for those children who are more who sit more quietly in the classroom, uh, because I need to figure out how to unlock that. Is it because there is someone shouting out louder than them? Is it because they are just a little more shy? Is it because they've had an experience before when they did raise their hand and it wasn't so pleasant for them? Um, so I look at each student say, ah, I noticed this one sitting quietly. But if I walk over to them and ask the question where we're basically whispering it to each other is in getting them more comfortable with talking to me, um, I will do that rather than having everybody raise their hand. I can go individually and ask, hey, I noticed you sitting quietly. Do you have a response? That way they feel comfortable speaking maybe one-on-one -on -one rather than in the whole group. Um, also, looking at my students who want my attention and finding ways that they can get my attention without always jumping up out of their seat at me, <laughs> you know, um, telling them, hey, can you try, I have a goal for you today. Can you try not jumping out, yelling at me? Let's try raising your hand. Hey, and at the end of the day, if you can do that, you have a smarty. I'll give you a smarty candy for that. Just so that they have a personal goal, those ones that are really moving and really shouting out, some, they have something personal for themselves and to try to meet, you know, I think that's important. And you also look very carefully, not just at the outward behavior, but you're, you look for the root. You look for mm -hmm. when did this child... When did this start? Can you talk a little bit about that? That is a lot of unpacking. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of unpacking. I may not find out what the root is for a while, um, but I gently keep pushing my way towards the child and figuring out, why is it that you don't want to raise your hand? Is, is there, and, and sometimes they'll tell me and sometimes they won't. Um, but I often tell them, 
you can tell me and I'm going to help you through it. Whatever it is, I'll help you through it. So that they have the confidence to share with me. A lot of times it just takes my parent email. I have, in the beginning of the year, I have parent homework. And their homework is just to tell me about their child. Tell me about their likes, their dislikes, what you, they want this year for their child. Was there any struggles that you want me to work on? A lot of times that will help me unlock something where a parent says, you know, they were very uncomfortable speaking in front of a class and we really struggled with that last year. Well, then that child doesn't have to speak out in front of the class immediately. I say to them, you know, you don't have to do that right now, but when you're ready, you can. So it does take a lot of speaking to my parents, looking at my students, watching my students and not saying anything, stepping back and just looking, now why is that student doing that? Until I can feel comfortable where I can approach them about that, the issue, um, or maybe have to speak to a parent or maybe a previous teacher. One thing I notice is not only do you make those discoveries on how a child wants to be addressed or treated or assisted or not assisted, I feel like your students, even though they're little first graders, discover that as well. I see a lot of students helping each other in your classroom, but in a respectful way that typically works for that child. And I think that's rare. I think a lot of times kids find out the hard way they're trying to help someone and that child doesn't want to be helped or they try to smother them and that child needs their space. But your students recognize those differences and those needs. And they also seem to help in just this amazing way. Is that modeling? What are you doing there? Um, there is a lot of modeling that happens, but there's a lot of explaining that happens. I explain that sometimes people need time. And if somebody's upset about something, if they don't, you can go up and say, can I help you? If they don't respond or, or tell you no, then it's time for you to walk away. Give them time. Uh, we do a lot of modeling and talking about when we're upset about something, it's okay to be upset and we need to give you time. Um, in the classroom, if someone is struggling with something, I often see those mother little hens that want to jump in and save. Um, I will say, you know what? He's going to try it himself this time. Let's let him have a chance. Let's let him do it. So it's a lot of modeling and talking about what we're what is expected in the classroom. Um, they will often ask, can I help this person do this? Oh, yeah, sure, great. Remember, you're a teacher and you need to help, not just give answers, you know. Um, but I think it's a lot of modeling and this is how we approach somebody. This is how we talk to somebody. Um, if somebody's having a struggle, ask them, can you help? Don't just step in and help. Something else about your classroom, and this is one of my favorite things about you, and I know you don't like, I don't like, I know you don't feel comfortable getting all these great compliments knowing you, but one of the things that I feel like if I asked one of your students, any one of them, who their favorite student is, do you know what their answer is usually? 
who their favorite student is. Yeah, who your favorite student is in that classroom. Who my favorite student is. Your favorite student, they always think it's them. And I know you don't have favorites, but no. but they all would answer. And I think that's rare. Unfortunately, if I, I feel like if you ask a lot of students, who's, who's your teacher's favorite? They name someone. Sometimes it's the, them, but they name someone. I don't think that would happen in your classroom. I think not only would they not be able to answer one person, if they did answer one person, it would be them. They feel that special to you. You have a relationship with your class mm -hmm. and you have a relationship with each individual student and each of you, you almost, and you have a name for them and you have a hidden language or a high five and, and they yes. feel special in your classroom. Now, teachers out there listening to this, <laughs> I, I want you to understand that that that's not always perfect. Like, I don't always do that perfectly. I, the key is to try each day to figure out, to connect with somebody different mm -hmm. in some way, whether it's a greeting at the door, whether it's a hug on the way out the door, um, just trying to connect, you know, with a student. And there, I have 35 students. I can't do that each day saying each day I'm going to connect with all 35 students. That's a lot. But if I say, oh, little, little Joey needed me, needs some a little of attention, or I'm going to give him a little more attention and figure out who this Joey is, um, each day by that time, I'd have all my students in a, you know, in a week, just five of them a day trying to figure them out. Um, and I think that making those connections has made me a successful teacher. I don't know if I'm the greatest reading teacher. I don't know if I'm the greatest math teacher, but those connections I know mean a lot. Yes, yes. And, and right now we have schools that are taking in, if you look at um, statistics, our, our, our schools are growing right now. Our Catholic schools, um, enrollment is yes. up. Um, across the country in many places. So we have not only new students coming in, we have new students that maybe are coming in without a religion background or mm -hmm. from a different faith um, or from, from a public school where expectations are going to be different. Um, right. So building that community right now, I think is more important now mm -hmm. than ever. Yeah, exactly. And keeping our expectations in the classroom the same. And continue yes. to bring our faith in. Um, I think that's the greatest blessing from teaching in a Catholic school is that we have our faith and we have God to rely on to guide us in our in our classroom. Um, I think that's that's what keeps me in Catholic education is because I can use my faith. Okay. Well, you mentioned some books, so before we're going to wrap up, but what are do you have some books that you could share um, some recommendations to our teachers? I think The Invisible Boy by Trudy Ludwig is a great book. She also, I just discovered, a new book of hers is called Brave Every Day. And it's about coming to school every day, not worried about, is my teacher going to call on me today? Am I going to get my math problems correct? And it's a great book. Um, so Trudy Ludwig is fantastic. Another new author, um, talks about differences. Um, and her name is Heather Avis. 
She just came out with her second book. Her first book is called Different, A Great Thing to Be. And my students last year just adored that book. We had a poster made and they would say things like, Ms. K, because different is a great thing to be. So um, those are some of my favorites. I have many more, but those <laughs> definitely those are something I would use at the beginning of the year. All right. Great teachers are usually inspired by another great teacher. Do you have any childhood teachers that, were, that stand out for you? You know, I had a lot of great teachers. I had a lot of great teachers. But I didn't become a teacher because because I, I didn't feel like I was seen in a classroom. I felt like there was always someone, Alan Fong was always smarter than I was, and you know this other person was their favorite. Um, so my desire to become a teacher was that I could, I could bring into my classroom a community that everyone is seen. Everyone has the opportunity to be seen and heard because I, necess I didn't necessarily feel that all the time. Well, I was a great sure? student. I was a very well-behaved student and maybe I wasn't seen like I thought I should be or I wanted to be seen and heard. So, Well, you sure have done that for so many students throughout your years. And I know I was very happy and blessed to have you and to be with you at Our Lady of Grace. So any shout outs, Mrs. K, do you want to shout out to anybody? To all those students who made me the teacher I am today. Oh. You know, those students who challenged me each day, without those challenges, I wouldn't have reached for anything better. You know, those students who allowed me in and they became a part of my day and I became a part of their day and still today, I know I had a seventh grader in the hallway today say he was walking off and he said, hey, Mrs. K, you're still my favorite teacher. You know that? <laughs> and I said, well, thank you. And he said, am I still your favorite student? See, I'm telling you. <laughs> and I said, of course you are. <laughs> you know, those, those, those just thanking all those students who entered my classroom and the parents who trusted me. Well, we thank you. Um, thank you for being our, our guest today at, from Our Lady of Grace School, West Sacramento. Um, do you or someone you know have something worth sharing? Let us know. We could be visiting your diocese and introducing you as our next podcast guest. After all, the most valuable resource we have is each other. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.